My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer is David Bax. Hello, David Bax. Thank you for having me. Thank you for not yelling at me for showing up 20 minutes late. Like, I would yell at you. <laughs> oh, I've seen your dark side. Uh, you have not. I don't yell at people. The dark side is there, my friend, but I don't yell at people. That's, yeah. that's a terrible thing. You don't get mad, you get even. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So, <laughs> if I walk out and I got flat tires on, on my car, then I'll, I'll know that I've paid the penance for showing up 20 minutes late. There is this weird, like, you know, every once in a while we have these script contests or whatever, or scene contests, and the scene always shows up of, like, me with some kind of whip, like, yelling at my producers, which sounds awesome, but I don't know where people get that. That is absolutely not true. Uh, maybe some of them want that to be true. Do you think? They want you to have I think a, a deep is secretly posted in crap on Facebook. That's what I think is happening. You know, my Pilar yelled at me again. She's so mean. Hate her. So, uh, so uh, we have a we have a guest here, who's already shaking his head. Hello, Bill Birch. Hello. Back. You're back. Back. Yeah. Yes, listeners. If you're wondering if that if it's the Bill Birch, yes, it is. You were I was on. Wondering. Were you? No. <laughs> David never listens to this podcast. Why should he? Um, Bill uh, was in the early days of the podcast. He was actually he was actually in the room when I was like. I think I'm going to do a podcast. And Bill said, hey, you know, you should interview people in the business. And I went, that's stupid. I'm just going to talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, and he, he was right. Me talking lasted about like five. You, you ran out of gas after the I did. two. I was like, I have nothing to say and I'm drunk. So then, then we had guests on and Bill was right. He's been right about everything. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Only listen to me. I should. Yeah. I should. You came on and you explained what happened the day after the writer strike? What what it all yeah. came to? Do you remember that? That was a great uh, time in the writers' period. Uh, we, we we got so much out of that strike; it was just great. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! It's ridiculous, isn't it? Like, has have they have they made good on anything? Has any of this benefited? Oh well, no. We I don't know. It's you know. I just hope we don't have to do it again. Okay, that's all. It's, oh. it's tough being out of work. Yes. Yeah, and walking the. In the crosswalk right in front of Universal Studios with a sign for weeks is not much fun. So, you networked a lot during that strike, though, well, if I remember. Yeah, but see, but you know what's cool about that is I was a feature writer, and I was on, I was walking with a bunch of TV writers. So I wasn't networking as much as I could have because they were in another world because they wrote television. I was with the Law & Order SVU group and the um, – Battlestar Galactica. Wow. Writers, well, which was fun to talk to them and everything, but I was a feature. I was like one of the few feature writers that was like, you know, walking around who no one knows because I lock myself in my room and isolated and typing in front of a computer all by myself when they're all like friends and chummy and get to like, <laughs> oh, that's why I want to get into TV. 
tired of being That's alone. right. Since then, you've been pitching TV. We'll get to that in a second. And then next, in the episode after that, you came in because you had just had a big table read of your script mm-hmm. with Tom Cruise, Bradley Cooper. Who else was, was at that table? Ryan Reynolds, um, Elizabeth Banks, Ian McShane. David Koechner, just uh, it was unbelievable as a writer. And you were also uh, also at the read as one of the actors because you're also an actor. Right. Well, yeah. Well, I read the stage directions. So, so, so I, to, I was I was not really an actor. But, but you have to do them with feeling. Yeah. You do. We all know mm-hmm. what happens when when scene, scene direction <laughs> goes bad. I got caught up in it one time and actually read one of Tom's lines. I cut him off and he and I you know got a big laugh. So, so I love my words so much I can't help it. And he he didn't look at you like no, all no, right you're out no. Scientology is going to get you. Gonna... It was a very interesting uh, time. I mean, it was really cool because it was the uh, it was really like my work, you know, straight from the page. The director was there, but it was like there was no, you know, it was like a, t- a table read for a play. It was like as a writer, it's as pure as it's going to get to mine. Mm-hmm. You know, as my words just coming right off, and some of it sounded, you know, was cringing myself, but it uh, it was great. I always recommend if you can get a table read together. For a script of yours, it's it's a totally different experience to hear it out loud. Especially if Tom Cruise and Bradley Cooper. Well, right? yeah, yeah, especially those guys. Yeah, I'll, I'll give them a call. And their pack of agents behind them, and it was it was it was cool. It was great. But that movie is uh, it never dies. It uh, it's called, it's a movie called One Finger Salute. That um, it's a really uh, I mean I'm I'm proud of it. It's a really great one of my best uh, writing samples things that I've ever written, and it's a uh, it's a period piece unfortunately it takes place in 1957 about these guys that want to get into outer space before there's a nasa program they're all in the air force and you know it's really interesting because people are, it, it's still floating around out there and people read it and they're like what's going on with this script and then some there's some interest in it and everything and ultimately what happened was tom cruise uh passed i did a draft with tom's notes and he did not want to commit to anything at this time is what his agent said so he didn't pass and he didn't say he didn't say yes he didn't say no but so my producer and director were like, well, we can sit around and wait for him to say yes or no, or else we can shop it around to somebody else. And so that's what they decided to do. And so uh, Bradley Cooper and Ryan Reynolds were still, were still interested in doing this. And um, it almost came together, and then it fell apart at the last they – were, they had lunch together to talk about doing this thing together, and there was an opening in their schedules and all this stuff. And for other reasons, it totally fell apart. And so it, there's money – that people want to do to spend to make it, but they just can't line up the cast just yet. And it's tough because the Tom Cruise role is really hard to cast. It's actually the guy in real life is fifty years old, and he's kind of like this. Well, Tom Cruise is getting there. <laughs> yeah, but there's only a certain amount of actors yeah. that can play this role. Yeah. That that are and the thing about it now, you know, it used to be when you had a movie made, they would look at it and say, okay, yeah, we'll do this and we'll make all our money back on DVD sales. That's how it used to work. And now the DVD sales are, are gone through the floor. The first question they ask is, okay, we're, we're going to make this movie. Are we going to make our money back with the foreign sales? Is the first thing that they ask, can they sell this idea overseas? They don't care how much it makes in the United States. They want to know what is it going to make overseas because that's going to pay for the movie. Everything else is going to be great. Well, this is a total American story about these guys in the Air Force. And somebody in like the Ukraine is not going to give a crap about – these guys trying to get into outer space. It's that's why these action movies do so much better, you know, like the Bourne franchise, because it because it translates and, overseas and it's often global. In, yeah, yeah, exactly. well, especially that movie. Yeah, it's set globally, but others, you know, you know, Iron Man, all this stuff, you know. But it, it, this is such an American film that they're worried about 
they're not going to get the foreign sales to get their money back. And since DVDs aren't there anymore to fall back on, that's a real issue. So that's been a problem with raising the money. And But, you know, occasionally these things get through and get made and, you know, it win award. Those are the ones that win awards. This one, you know, this one is worth definitely the someday. time that's gone into it. Someday, for sure. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about uh, tell everybody out there how many projects you do have. Are they all with Warner Brothers right now? Yes, I'm a one one studio worker so far, which is not good for me. If you're going to be one studio, the Warner Brothers isn't a bad one to yeah, be. Yeah, but you know, working in the business. So I started out and I sold that. Actually, that that astronaut script was the first one that I wrote. Um, and uh, I did a couple of drafts on that. And in between those drafts, I sold an original called Weekend Warrior. And that's a kind of a fun, supernatural uh, guy who can't do anything, has to stop the apocalypse kind of thing. And Dean Pariseau, what one time was attached to direct that, so I did a draft with him. And so I kind of flip-flopped, and I've worked with – I've only done five projects at Warner's, but – I've um, only done five well, projects at Warner's. <laughs> okay. Thank, thank goodness. I'm so totally thankful. But I've been flip, flipping back and forth between first draft, second draft, and then there's a third draft and this kind of thing. And um, and uh, so I have that, and then I have Captain Marvel, which is the live action version of Shazam. If anybody. So is you it know. is it not going to be called Shazam anymore? It's now called Captain Marvel. No, it's a re- it was originally called Captain Marvel. I don't know the true uh, what's going on, but I I put money on that they're going to change the name of the character to Shazam. It's, but just because Marvel owns Marvel, there's a big uh, uh, legal thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mar- they can only use the word Captain Marvel in the script, mm-hmm. so the title cannot say Captain Marvel. The marketing website to if if they had a movie about Captain Marvel, they could not have a website to send it Captain Marvel mm-hmm. because Marvel owns that. This is a DC property, DC um, Comics. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's kind of a sticky wicket for them so I think they ultimately will have to change the name which is going to cause an uproar but I don't know that for all those fanboys that are out there listening they're oh my gosh <laughs> I'm just guessing I have no idea how, so, many, how many drafts have you done of that I did two two mm-hmm. drafts on that and you know where that is it, I, 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 this is just me guessing as well and I, I'll, all I can really say about it is you know I, DC is you know they wanted to kind of do what Marvel's doing with Avengers, you right, know. Right, right. And they have their Justice League property with, you know, Batman, Superman, Flash, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern. And they're, you know, they're trying to do that. I don't know what happened, whether that's still a plan or they have Superman coming out next year. And, you know, the, the Last Dark Knight just came out. And so we'll see. But unfortunately, my character's not in the Justice League. Uh. He's, he's, he's just a, he's like the Spider-Man. See, Spider-Man's not in the Avengers, but he's a Marvel property. So my character, Captain Marvel, is kind of a, side B-level, you know, character. So who knows? Maybe they, they'll get to it. Or There's an animated an animated TV show. God, I can't remember what it is, but my kids watch it. It's all of the Justice League characters, but they're kids. They're, they're teenagers. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. It might be Teen Titans. Uh, is that it? Yeah. They're, they're teenagers. And <laughs> so they're all in teenage form, except Captain Marvel, who is an adult right. because inside he's really a kid and they actually treat him like this little brother because he's actually younger than they are. So they're like, oh God, you know, Captain Marvel is just like, does he have to come around with us? You know, and he's just like this great big guy at a cape who's like, hey, can I come? It's, it's, they handle it very, very well. I'm not saying that you guys should do that. And that's the <laughs> voice that I had in my head when I wrote him. Hey, <laughs> hey, can you? No, but so, so anyway, who knows what's going on with that and, 
You know, it's uh, so I've been working, but I haven't had I've had nothing produced yet. I'm like the development hell guy who's like you know constantly taking notes from producers and executives at Warner Brothers and this, and then just go back and rewrite it. And you you've know. been a working writer all this time, five projects at Warner Brothers, and nothing on screen yet. And this is the life of a working writer. This is something actually we've been we've been yeah. talking about a lot on the podcast. It's like people think you know it's there's a lot of like oh, really you're a writer what have you done. You know, and yeah. it's like, why don't we talk about what I'm doing and getting paid for instead yeah. of what have you seen on the screen? Because we could all be gray by the time that happens, you know? Well, it's really interesting how it works. It, it's it's like, you know, I'm talking about Warner Brothers. For me as a as a writer, I feel completely blessed that I've had uh, the opportunities that I've had. But as far as my salary and everything goes, it's it'd be for my career, it would be very beneficial for me to sell something outside of the studio. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is that I'll be able to get a bigger raise. Because at Warner Brothers, they're just looking at what my last project was and they're bumping it up a little bit. If I go sell something to Disney or Sony or Paramount or whatever, then you know my agents and my lawyers can work a little better deal. So it's kind of like you're in the old studio system in a way. You're, yeah, you're a studio yeah. writer. But Warner, I have to say Warner Brothers is known. If they, if they do like you, they will rehire you. They will, you know, and they kind of keep 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 going back to you so which is great which is which is different than we hear from a lot of people where it's like you know I, they loved me last week they fired me this week yeah. you know yeah. um so so you had another project after captain marvel yeah, I which had, I, I don't know about oh I have, I have a project called it's the, it's called collard is the name of it and how this came about is um i was just handed in my last draft to captain marvel and it got received pretty well at warner brothers and they were happy with it and I went around and was just taking general meetings. And I met with um, uh, David Hoberman and Todd Lieberman at Mandeville Entertainment. So they're producers at Disney. And they just – they produced The Muppets and they produced um, The Proposal with Ryan Reynolds. And, I mean, they've done – they have all the big st family stuff at Disney under there. Like they're, they're developing the Jungle Cruise movie. And they've got tons and tons of stuff. And they've done uh, – they used to – they produced Monk, the TV show Monk. And um, so they have a television and, and feature department. And David uh, used to be an executive at Disney, a really high up one. And he, did, he was one of those guys that flipped and became a producer because mm -hmm. he wanted to have more creative. So they gave him a deal there. So anyway, I went in a general interview and just kind of they read my uh, one finger salute and they called me and said, we really love your script and let's talk. And it was one of those just hour long meetings where you just kind of sit down and, you know, shoot the breeze with them. And then they finally get to the point where I say, like, so do you have any ideas? And I, you know, threw out my three crappy ideas because at that time I honestly didn't really have anything that I was really fired up about writing and I was like well I got this and you know that and they were kind of like oh yeah yeah and they said and they go okay well let me tell you what our ideas are and so they he pitched me three things and two of them were not for me at all one of them was kind of funny that it was they have a they have kind of a side deal with a toy train company and so the, his pitch was do you have anything with a train <laughs> and I was like well no, um, but then he came, he, he came up with this other idea and he said, uh, so I have this other idea and I love prison break movies and I love, you know, the show prison break and escape from Alcatraz and anything having to do with that. And I want to do a prison break movie, but I want the prison to be area 51. Huh. And that's all he had. And I was like, oh, okay, well, let me think about that. So I went home and I started thinking about it. And this was a real, you know, conscious choice I had to make because as a writer, when you get an idea from a producer, it's your, you know, you can't just, he wants to hear, here's my little seed. You come back and, you know, tell, show me the plant after it's 
grown and flowered and mm. bears fruit, you know. So it's a lot of work. You have to go home and come up with the whole take. You can't just come in with a half thing like, oh, I was thinking about maybe these guys and they get out and they, you know, they get chased across the desert and then they escape. You know, it has to be up. They, they want in a feature film uh, pitch nowadays, they want the play by play. They want, used to be much more general, but they want, you know, and then this and then this and then this and, you know, 20, 25 minutes of the movie. And um, so you're really making a decision. I can spend my time, I could spend two or three weeks working on an original idea of my own and, you know, get it completely um, built out and then take it to a producer. That producer says, no, I can take it to another producer. This producer says, no, I can take it to this producer. That producer says, yes, then we shop it around to the different studios. Well, this is his idea, even though he gave me one sentence. So if I work on it for three weeks and I go back to him and I say, here's my idea, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, mm, no, then I'm done. I just spent three weeks for no reason because I can't take his idea to another producer. You know, it's his, right, it's his right. idea. So as time-wise, as a feature film writer, I have to make a decision of like, am I going to work on it or am I going to, um, you know, work on my own stuff, which really what I do try to do most of all is original material of my own. And... Um, but in this case, it just kind of something kind of hooked, and I found a way into the story, and uh, so I went back and pitched him, and I and it has a little bit of a Starman quality to it, you know, with the Jeff Bridges, yeah, because uh, there's a little, there's not really a love interest, but there's a the the, the premise is that these aliens are uh, one thing I will tell you that I learned writing Captain Marvel. So Captain Marvel is if you don't know the story is about this boy billy batson when he says the word shazam he's like a 13 14 year old kid and when he says the word shazam which is the name of the wizard that gave him the powers he turns into like a late 20s superhero right so he it's two two actors playing the role one actor is going to play billy batson one actor play is going to play captain marvel which is different you know you see superman it's the same actor playing clark kent same actor playing superman well in the, we had to be really uh, aware of this writing. Captain Marvel was, you get some star that you're paying twenty million dollars and has a piece of the back end of the movie and everything. Captain Marvel has to be on the screen almost all the time. Sure, you cannot have the little kid. Even though emotionally, the probably the more interesting story is the little kid. Yeah, I mean, we definitely he goes back and forth, but you have to, you know, that's an issue and. You know, you do have to deal with egos and vanity, and like you know, I'm, you know, I want to be, I want to be driving this film and that kind of thing. So, in this movie, so I said, okay, I don't want to write District Nine. I don't want to, I don't want to have, I want to write a uh, a movie for a star, and somebody like Brad Pitt is who I was thinking, or Robert Downey Jr. And so I was like, how do I get their aliens? Like, how do I get Brad Pitt to you know be in this movie as the, as the star? guy escaping and so my my premise was that they wear these collars around their necks that's why it's called collared because they're they're they captured these two shapeshifters like back in the 50s and they they harvested their dna and they're able to put this dna into a collar which administers this medicine and puts them mix it with human dna and puts them in human form so as long as they have a collar on they are in a human form and when they take the collar off they're turned into the aliens that they are and so that's the way I was able to keep a uh, – that's the, the part that David liked. He's like, okay, so he's on screen most of the time because to make it even more complicated, he is a water-based alien. So he can only have the collar off for very small amounts of time, right? There's other aliens that are around him in his group that are escaping that are full CGI, uh -huh. but the movie star 
is in human form most of the time. And so anyway, what happened is we went and pitched it to Disney because they have a deal there. He said yes, and I was like, oh, good. I didn't waste three weeks you know, of work working on this. And he had heard this from you know, dozens of other writers you know, came in and spent the time. So that's the risk that you're taking. I just got lucky that he liked the that that my premise. And I think so, I think in this case we can actually say skill instead of luck. I mean, look, if you had all these other people, they all had their chance. They all went in, explored the idea, and you're the one that got the job. You, you did you did it better. Well, okay. Well, it you wasn't know, like some lottery. Well, no, there's, there's you know there's a hundred different ways to do something. It's just mm-hmm. that I think that, uh, and then that doesn't mean they're they're wrong. Mm-hmm. I just think that uh, for whatever reason, I think I kind of made because because I made him a human. Mm. And uh, and the, the, the love story comes in is that this woman who's on the outside, who's this total uh, conspiracy theorist who thinks there are aliens on Area 51, and she you know, sits out on the highway outside and she sells tchotchkes of aliens and stuff to the passerbys. Um, she thinks she sees her husband on this bus, and it's because the Brad Pitt ha- – it's really – I'm not pitching this well at all. I'm so sorry. But it's because her uh, – Brad Pitt, the Brad Pitt character, or the star, whoever it would be, has her husband's DNA in his collar. And so they don't even know each other. She thinks that she knows him, but he doesn't. So that's, the, that's a twist or whatever. So anyway, uh, we pitched it to Disney, and they thought it was too dark for them because it kind of was a – I kind of pitched it like a lethal weapon. has the humor of that, but it has a little bit – you know, has an edge to it. When you're talking about collars and prison. And, yeah, you know, I mean, and they're breaking out, and they're being abused by the guards, yeah, and the government's the bad guy. Thing, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and you actually there's a part for you as, with your whip really? in there, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Very good. Uh, but they, um, you know, they passed, and so I said, okay, let's take it to Warner Brothers because I just handed in Captain Marvel, and they were happy with it. And so we went there and pitched it to the two executives there, and then later that day they called and said they want to buy it. So, so just when you think you're out, they pull you back in, baby, Warner <laughs> Brothers. I was happy because I later learned that from my producers. They're like, if they didn't buy, it, we were just going to tell you you need to write it on spec, and I was like, oh. Because I want to get paid. Right. Write. I don't want to have to write on spec. But so, you know, I did a couple drafts of that. And I just handed in my third uh, draft on like April, Mar- end of March. And, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen with that. I, you know, it, and a lot of times I've been thinking of my past projects. Some of them are just kind of languishing there. And, you know, there's a lot of things. Like I've rewritten some people. I mean, like Captain Marvel was originally written by William Goldman. Was did the first draft. Wow. And the draft that I basically uh, took and rewrote was John August. And so I often think about getting rewritten, and I'm like, I would love for people to rewrite me. Because right now, <laughs> I mean, some of these some of these things are just dead in the water. And, I, you know, I'll go back, and I'll flip through, and I'll read it, and I'll say, this needs some work. You know, this mm-hmm. is like it's not quite there. And I would love it because I feel like I've done enough to – especially my original ideas. There's no way I'm not going to get writer's credit because it's my original idea. Um I would love if somebody else can, you know, take over and push the boulder up the hill and get it over the top. I am, I'd be more than happy to. Because then it would be produced. You'd still have yeah. a, you'd still have a writer's yeah. credit on it. Yeah. And but maybe that's a thing that, like you said, could. Yeah. But I. You, you know, everything's at this everything's point, everything's in stages. Everything's in steps. It's like, if I can get to a different studio, I'll get a big, I'll get a bigger race. If I can get something produced, I'll be moved up into the next level. You know, it's all, you know, it's just these mini steps. It's said the beginning steps of a career. It's like if I could just get an agent, you know, <laughs> and you know, 
I've had those same struggles, you know. Well, I didn't have in my in my Mr. ICM, you're okay. In my acting career, I did, which I still, you know, dabble in that. But by the way, if anybody would like to see Bill Birch's pretty face, they can just turn on the TV, and it's uh, it's the dude who's talking about the truck, <laughs> right? Yeah, the Chevy that's truck. Right. Yeah, that's right. And that's all the things that he does with his now. truck, right? Well, I'll say if you watched any of the Olympics, you're sick of my face because it was airing like every commercial break. Is the one where the guy the block party says, "So what do you do?" And then I say, "I," uh, and then it flips through me doing twelve things with my Chevy truck. He has strip parties in this truck. It's <laughs> yeah, incredible. It's great. He sells gold out of this truck. No, but I will tell you. Thank God that's running because that is because right now I'm out of work. So it's like I'm an unemployed writer, but I'm a working actor. So I got, you know, balancing between the two. But you've always done that. You've always kind of. Yeah. It's, it's so weird. You're the only person I know where like commercial acting is your day job. Like, well, then I got this commercial, you know, that supports my writing career. Yeah. It's like well, the weirdest. That's that's true. Things weird. could be a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, what about the TV? Because you mentioned that you want to get into TV. And I know because I've you know, gotten a, a chance to look at one or two that you have some TV pitches and, and yeah, I have a, uh, well, you know, it's interesting because I, 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 you know, I fin- handed in my draft and, and my agent was talking to me and said, okay, look, you gotta, you gotta sell TV pitch. You gotta sell a TV pilot. Every year he's bugging me about it and I've just kind of like been busy writing it. So now I've, I didn't have a job and TV buying season is, you know, starts at the, in July, although it's a little slow this year. So I was like, okay, I got a couple months. Let me work on something. And so, you know, I came up with a um, a couple pitches, and um, I went. I came up with t- ten or eight ideas. Some of them were so horrible, and I went in with my manager and my agent. And we just sat, and you know, I just rattled them off, and they said, "Okay, these three work on those three. So I went back then to develop them into. I developed two of them into a full pitch, and one of them, I was like, "Okay, I don't have a. As far as a feature film writer, the reason I want to get into television is because." Um, it's it's you know my 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 uh, movie agent is always uh, theatrical not the my literary agent who's a feature literary agent is always laughing at the TV guys at ICM because he's like they think they got it so tough they should try to get a movie made and he's really you know he's honestly true it's like this buying season you know this these numbers you know are are not exact but each one of the four networks is going to buy like fifty dramas and fifty pilots fifty comedies. And then they're going to have them turned in over the holidays coming up at the end of the year, and then they're going to decide which ones of those they're going to shoot as a pilot. And then after they see the pilots, they're going to decide which ones of those they're going to go onto the air. There's a lot of hoops. But, you know, television is just such a machine. It's like you, they have to feed it constantly. They, they have to have the content. When you go back to the feature side and you look at, you look at Warner Brothers, you look at Sony, and you say, okay, they're gonna, how many movies are they going to put out this year if you're just talking studio movies? And they're going to do 10 or 12 or eight, depending on what the year is. Well, you know, three of those are going to be sequels. You know, two of them are going to come from, you know, at Sony, one of them is going to be Adam Sandler's movie because he has a deal there. And, you know, there's this, the, the, the numbers just get smaller and smaller. And you're like, okay, of the hundreds of things they have in development on the feature side, there's like three slots, you know. And if you don't have a star attached or you, I mean, you're you're really, really fighting a, a you know, tough current there to try to get upstream on that. But as far as television, so I was like, and then the other thing is a TV, the writer is king. 
You know, it's like you, you're on board and they buy it and you're all of a sudden a showrunner. Now, in my case, I've never run a show, so I, I would probably be paired up with one. But I would be an executive producer on the show because I would create it. And then you're in charge of hiring the director and you're, tr you're in charge of casting and you're in charge of everything. And in feature films, I write it, I, I hand it off and God knows what happens to it. You know, there's times, there's stories where a guy gets, you know, they send us. They, they hand in their script to the studio. Studio hires them again, again to do a third pass on it. Hands them back the script, and they're like, "Who rewrote me?" Like one of the executives rewrote them, wow. and, and changed dialogue and all. And they're like, "Okay, I mean, it's totally out of your hands." And it's you know, so I I want to just uh, and I miss collaborating. Honestly, mm -hmm. I mean, I I'm I'm by myself. I'm. You know, it's really tough. You can always come back to the writers' groups, Bill Birch. I might have we to. We miss you. I tell you, it's uh, you know, it's it's really you got to be such uh, disciplined. You have, you know, I've got okay. I have one date on my calendar that's three months from now, and that's when I have to hand it in. Mm -hmm. So if you don't feel like doing it, you just don't do it. Like, oh, my kids got something at school. I'm not gonna, you know, so easy to procrastinate, and then you just, you know, oh shit, I got a week. I gotta, you know, get this there, and it's not, but. I want to, you know, be in a room with people because when I started, when I started writing, I came out here as an actor and I was in the Groundlings, yeah. you know, the comedy troupe. And that was all about like, you wrote what you had to put up in the comedy show that weekend. And if you didn't write, you didn't have anything because, mm -hmm. you know, and that was all collaborations. Like, Hey, do you want to write this weekend? Let's try to write, you know, and it was fun. And, and, you know, I love writing. I love those mini, you know, uh, times where you have victories where you're like oh, i figured out this scene finally i figured out how it works you know i you know do this and do that this is great now it's like humming along those are great but those are you know few and far between of the drudgery of you know okay i gotta plow through this you know somehow i've gotten i, I found myself kind of pushed into this kind of action comedy genre and i can't stand writing those action scenes i can't i sit there and i'm like okay today's the big set piece where you know the 405 and you know i have a giant explosion in a stadium or whatever and i just stare at that blank screen like oh god here because you're such choreography you know and, yeah and, and but you know i get through it and it turns out okay but it's just like ugh, that's not my favorite thing to do so but it's interesting too what you just said about like okay it's a set piece and this is where it's set and how do i make it yeah. interesting yeah. and you have to push through that and it's funny because all of the stuff that you're working on they all have some kind of set pieces oh they're totally yeah completely them. Yeah. So you've kind of become that guy, mm -hmm. even though I know from your early writing, from when you were sort of writing stuff in my classes, mm -hmm. you're really a character guy. Secretly. I won't tell anybody that. Yeah. But <laughs> secretly. The TV shows that you're thinking of, that, that you're currently pitching, uh, are those character-based? Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 uh, it's, it's totally about character. It's really interesting trying to make the transition because what happened was, you know, I came up with a couple pitches, and I've been working on those. And uh, and then I said, okay, I have to write. A, I have to write one of these things. I have to write a sample. And you know, I've had I had different people give me advice and say, oh, you need to write a modern family. And I'm like, you know, I just they don't do that anymore. People aren't writing. First of all, I don't want to write. I'm not trying to get a job on staff at Modern Family. So, if that's what you want to do, I would recommend writing a Modern Family. You know, spec, but I want to write in another original that I might even be able to sell that. So why am I going to spend just as much time writing a Modern Family when I can write an original that I can actually sell and shop around? So I had another idea which was in the same kind of vein as the one I wanted to pitch. So I wrote it, and what was really interesting, and obviously I'm writing half-hour single-camera comedies because it is the easiest transition from feature film to television because it's the same format. There's three acts. The middle act is 
basically broken into A and B to two two longer. It's longer and it's a little bit. Uh, it's got two sections to it, and it's got the same act breaks and it's you know same format and final draft and basically. And so I was like, okay, this is this is good. And what you don't want to have happen is what happened to me on my first draft of my project was my agents and manager read it and they were like, this would make a great feature. (laughs) And the reason why is because, and it's really simple if you really just look at it, is the format of a pilot episode of a television show, I, you have to, I wrapped it up Mm -hmm. like a feature film. So I had the beginning. The problem. I solved the problem, and the problem wasn't lingering enough to keep a, a TV show alive. And um, it was an easy fix, but it was a really interesting um, exercise because, you know, once you turn on Modern Family or you watch an old episode of Friends, you don't care about how they got together because you didn't watch the pilot episode, right? Mm-hmm. There you just see that they're funny and they're in a situation. That's why it's called a sitcom, right? There's a situational comedy. Um, the um, but they really want the pilot episode to has to set that up, even though most people don't even see that. But when you look at it, it's like the the question is why today? Why is this happening now? And you know, it's it's the it's changing of the world order is the pilot episode. And what I did in my first draft is I changed the world order and then I solved it just like a feature film. And it still had the char- a, a, a mechanism to get all the characters together on a weekly basis, but it wasn't enough to um, keep it going. And so that's what they want to see. And so, I mean, just for instance, if you look at Gilligan's Island, okay, the pilot episode, they get on the boat, they're stranded at the end of the episode. So you, so you, walk, you turn off the TV and you know, okay, they're going to be together and that, the hijinks will ensue. You know, the first episode of, of uh, Cheers, uh, you know, Diane is left by her uh, fiance at the bar, and then Sam ends up giving her a job, and you know she, they're they're like oil and vinegar. And you know, one one exception of that was really clever is Modern Family because the pilot episode of that is you just meet all three different couples, and then the the reveal at the end is that they all arrive at the same house together, and you see, oh my God, they're a family. You have no idea they're a family, and so that's the the ongoing thing. And so it's kind of like it has to be the big day. And so that's that was one transition I had to be conscious of, of like not solving everything like in a feature film. It's like just set it up and and you know be able to leave that. And also the pitch is a lot different for a TV show. The, you know, it's the play by play by play of the feature film and the TV show. You know, I've the way that I've kind of crafted mine is I just open up on the world of the characters and I do a lot of backstory of who the characters are. And then I and about halfway through the television pitch, I'm into the actual pilot without them really even knowing that I am. Do you, you don't say things so, like, so here we are in the pilot, and, I mean, you don't sort of no, walk them through uh, it no, that way? No, that's how I kind of do it. I, the way that I have it structured is that I talk about this character, and blah, 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 and he's this, and he's a young guy, and he's trying to make it, and this kind of thing, and he has this crappy job, and, and, then, and then in the middle, and I talk about his parents, and this, and then in the middle of it, I get into specific scenes, which, you know, kind of push the story forward. And then at the end of it, I, so I don't, I don't reference, uh, and then, you know, uh, after the commercial break, we are back and, you know, it's not the play-by-play, but it's more of just describing the general world of the television show. And uh, so... But you're, you're also, I mean, when, let's go back to Futures for just a second. You've done, gotten so many assignments on pitch. So 
so what's your secret with feature pitching? Because clearly you're doing something right. Well, I, I'll tell you, I, I think that my acting background is unbelievable. Uh, gives me a leg up. Um, and I would recommend, you know, and I think, and a lot of people that ask me about acting and everything, and the, the class for both writing and um, acting that I would recommend to either person that wants to do either one of those is improv. And I would do that because I think that as a writer, that's what has helped my dialogue. And that's what I get the most compliments on are my feet and my finished uh, drafts are, is my dialogue. And it's in, because in the improv, you have to come up with it. You know, like I'm this weird guy that, you know, I work at a gas station. I do meth all day long. That's my character. What would he say? You have to come up with that right away in the scenes. And I think that, uh, you know, thinking on your feet has really uh, helped in my writing. And then in the um, pitches to be, you know, invested and dramatic and, you know, I'm not doing a I mean, I guess I am doing a performance, but I'm not, you know, doing voices or anything like that. But I'm able to tell a story. And so I got a lot of compliments on my pitching because a lot of writers, I mean, let's face it, are, you know, locked in a room and come out and, you know, can't really uh, – they're really great expressing themselves on paper, but in, in – in, um, you know, actually talking to someone, maybe they're not so smooth. So um, I, I would recommend an, an improv class, definitely, to uh, to do that. If I had a nickel, baby, for all the times people have said that, yep. I mean, it's it's really incredible. Yep. And it's been all kinds of writers that have mm-hmm. come on the show that have said improv, improv, improv. Yep. So that's, yeah. You know what's interesting? When, when I took improv, when I was at the Groundlings, a lot of people, it was really interesting. They have this one little class that's called Fun Shop or something. They used to call it that. I don't know what it's called now. But it was for non-actors who wanted to do improv. And the, the number one profession of these people were lawyers. Oh, I, that's the same for my writing classes, you know. Is that right? Yes. I would say, you know, people come in from all different professions. A lot of people have been doing many things and they have a, an idea and they come to my class to, to get it on the page. And... Without a doubt, there will always be three or four lawyers per yeah. class or people in the legal profession. Mm-hmm. And so I think this proves, yes, you get some good skills and stories in the legal profession, and the legal profession must suck because everybody wants to get out of it. So, <laughs> Well, no, I think my point is, is that, you know, it's another job where thinking on your feet and when they have to be in court and that kind of thing, this kind of training mm-hmm. helps them. Yes. And I think in the pitch, you know, it's the same way. I think that uh, just to be you know, um, confident and, and know your story inside and out. Oh, it, by the way, David, what what Bill has come a long way because there was the time when he brought in his first weekend warrior pitch into the writers group he was in. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a, a private writers group and and he got heckled. <laughs> we actually stopped they, his pitch and started heckling him. They did not understand my my genius. <laughs> Oh, the sort of atmosphere you're in, you encourage in your well, classes. Let's, let's just say I think that success is the best revenge in mm. this. You know, he can just just go back in their face and be like, "Really, heckle me, hmm? <laughs> Mr. Warner Brothers?" I don't think. You know, I think it's funny because working on this uh, TV idea and stuff, it's like uh, uh, there's one piece of advice that I would give writers, and I was not following my own advice recently, which you know kind of bit me in the ass. But my advice is, 
that uh, you know you work your butt off on this on whatever you're writing, and you put your blood, sweat, and tears into this thing, and you get to that point where you're like, "Screw it, I'm done. This is I don't care what anybody says. This is good. This is this is this is where it needs to be. I'm finished. This is you know if they don't they don't buy this, they're stupid. They just don't get my genius. All that kind of stuff." And my advice was always, as soon as you get to that point, you need to do one more draft because it's not ready. And um, so recently what happened, so I wrote my pilot uh, ep- episode as a, that I was going to use as a sample. And I wrote it and I was sick of it. And I thought, oh, it's, you know, it's there, it's there. And then what I did against my own advice was I started, you know, bending the ear of a few people I know that could actually do something with this and say, hey, could you read this? Like, yeah, I'd love to read it. I'd love to read it. I sent it out too early, and I burned it. I burned the one time I could have them read it because mm. they're not gonna. I'm not gonna rewrite it in two weeks and then send it to them again because right. these are like people that are up there. And um, so they, you know, they read it and they were very, oh yeah, it's great. It's not really right for me. And blah, blah, blah. you know the typical mm-hmm. bullshit response. But um, it was my fault because I knew in my gut that it wasn't where it needed to be. But I had this weird, hopeful feeling of like, please just let it squeak by you know Mm -hmm. because i don't want to write it anymore you know and it it didn't you know if you don't think it's gonna it's not i think that says something also about the fact that you know the stuff that you have gotten it's because you've worked really hard you know clearly yeah so thank you that is great advice and i wish we didn't have to go but we have to go we We got another we got another guest yeah coming on much more powerful than i Uh, (laughs) um all right, so before we go, uh, I want to make a couple of plugs and an apology. I'm going to start with my apology, okay? This is episode 259, okay? Wow. Last episode was 258, and you would think by 258, I would finally get comfortable on this podcast. I'm hoping by episode 300, I might start to get used to it. <laughs> Sometimes I get a little nervous, and I, I'll, I'll start saying things over and over. For a while it was, okay, okay, okay. Then it was, you know, you know, you know, you know. Then it was, that's interesting. Ooh, that's interesting. It's very interesting. Then it turns out that you could play a drinking game off off of episode 258 with the term, very cool. I listened to that. I almost didn't post it, but I had to because the, the filmmakers were really good. But this is me every freaking minute very cool very cool very cool so this is my suggestion first of all i would like to apologize to to all the listeners but also i would encourage you maybe to listen again maybe put a beer in front of you it's okay it's all right and do a little drinking game come on we used to do that when we were doing these right right we used right and that was a problem too like i said I'll, i'll eventually overcome all of my problems on this show but do the very cool drinking game and uh it'll be much more enjoyable and listenable. Very cool. Uh, very cool. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> very cool. Uh, I would also like to plug something. Uh, I am a much better teacher than I am a podcast host. And uh, the fir- the six-week first draft class will start up again um, in September, September 8th through October 13th. Saturday is 1230 to 3.30 here at the On The Page studios. Bill Birch has taken it. Our next guest, Laura House, has taken it. Practically every guest who's been on this show has taken this class. And it is a great way to go from idea into pages in six weeks of time. So I would definitely encourage you to do that. Um, and it's only 300 bucks. Go to onthepage.tv and sign up for that. David, do you have any uh, any plugs you want to make for uh, your just, upcoming podcast? Yeah, just as you 
usual, find the podcast and, and movie reviews and, and, and the like at uh, battleshippretension.com. And Bill, Bill, yes. nobody should get in touch with you. You're writing. Very For God's cool. sakes, do not <laughs> let anybody reach out to you. Are you you're not doing a Facebook I, thing I or anything, no, right? I have, not, have no media That's good. stuff. That's good. I'm just, yeah. You're no. easily distractible. I've shared an office with you. So I know. I know. That's, right. So, That's right. I don't need all that. I would just procrastinate and do all that all day long. Exactly. That's like one thing I don't need. So don't reach out to Bill Birch. I had, but, I had to delete my words with friends account. It was just too much. <laughs> too much. <laughs> I wish Pat would do that. <laughs> oh, my God. I catch him in all kinds of weird places doing words oh, with friends. Yeah. Oh, I bet. I Mm-hmm. That's a whole other podcast. Thank you for being on. Will you you're come welcome. on again? Yes, every, yes. Every time you're on, it's like it, it's so filled with information. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody out there, have a good writing week. 